Everybody knows Franklin. Uh, he's been on the show a number of times, and I sent out my email yesterday that um, you know we're pleased and privileged to have him back, and I and I mean that in all sincerity. Franklin is a former Army soldier. He's a, he he did graduate work at Tulane and a, a German university. I said earlier he's a lifetime student of economics and you know monetary policies and monetary systems. So just a wealth of knowledge in that arena. He's been a gold and silver merchant uh, for forty plus years. And here's the thing about Franklin that I think is the most troublesome, at least for the left, is he's a truth teller. And, and you know, that's not something that people like <laughs> very much. As a matter of fact, if you're in that business, well, shame on you, Franklin, because you know you're going to get some rocks thrown your way if you tell the truth too much. And boy, does he ever. So today, when I was, I was looking at a few facts and figures from his life, I went back to his website, v-moneychanger.com. And, and clicked on that beautiful article called The Most Dangerous Man in the Mid-South. It's kind of, it's a little bit of Franklin's life story, not the whole thing. A little bit of his life story and how he got to where he is. And I think it's a must read. If you want to know someone who suffered for the cause, if you want to know someone who's given his blood, sweat, and tears for truth, um, I think reading that article will hit you in the face and make, you know, quite frankly, might make you feel a little weak. Like, man, I, I haven't done enough. <laughs> Franklin's done a lot. Uh, he's done a lot and more, and I'm always happy to have him on the show. Franklin, welcome back to the True Money Show. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate being here. It's always fun. Well, I, um, I really did. I, re- I reread Your Most Dangerous Man in the Mid-South, and, um, you know, you have suffered a lot, and I, I just need to thank you for it and tell you, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't there to give you a hand. I felt, I felt guilty reading it. Well, I appreciate your saying that. You know, I, I tell people even a cornered rat will fight for his life, and that's kind of where I was. But uh, you can understand why I came out of that with a, with a deep suspicion of everything the government does, because... You know, the one one thing I consistently did throughout all that whole trial, it was many years, I consistently underestimated how evil they were. Yeah. I just thought, you know, there's some lines they won't cross. Well, you're wrong. They'll do anything. You know, that, it, you know it's a constant grief to look around me and see all that come bearing, bearing its rotten fruit today. But Yeah. You know, that's I think that's, that's a very sorrowful and deep, Deeply disturbing message. I've had, I haven't had near the cross you carried, Franklin. But I've had some of those betrayals, some of those, you know, when when you're when you're talking to someone that you think might have, been, you know, some rationality going on, and you believe is in a position of power, therefore might have some goodness in him because he's, you know, he's trying to serve the public or whatever else, and you get these knives in the back. It is very, very trying on a person's soul, and um, and I'm with you. I don't know how. I, I, well, uh, but for the grace of God, how do you keep any sense that there is a value in humanity? Well, you, you don't. I mean, it, the grace of God is the only way you can do it. Yeah. Because otherwise, you, you're going to lose hope, and you're going to say, "Well, this is impossible. There's there's no nothing is left." And if you look around at the world today, it's really easy to fall into that trap. And what you have to remember is that. Life is too long, and history history too long for us to understand what God is doing. I, I mean, I look around now, and I look. I mean, it it just makes me want to cry when I, <laughs> I look at what what's happening with the the, the Marxist takeover of the United States. Yep. Not to mention the whole. I mean, I, I just don't believe the the pan the COVID nineteen pandemic. I just don't believe it. No, I just don't. 
No, we don't. And, uh, we don't either over here. And we've been shouting it from the rooftops. And you know, it's a fu- it's just strange. I mean, you're a fact and figure guy. You know, you're, you're you dealt in gold and money and so on. I'm a fact and figure guy. Mike George is a fact and fact and figure guy. We have the facts. We have the stats. We have the proof. We have the the commentators. We have every- and it doesn't matter. The facts don't matter. Oh, no, it doesn't matter a bit. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of what kind of world do we live in? You know, where proof is know, not the best. The best part of it is these people all say they believe in science. So I, I have a friend who has a daughter who's a nurse, and she's always talking about how you have to wear masks. So I found all this research, science, hard science, even from the CDC that says masks are bad for you and they don't do the job they're supposed to do. Right. Well, she didn't. She just didn't believe it. She just rejected it. That's nice. She just rejected it out of hand because. It wasn't the science that she learned, you know. It wasn't invented there. It wasn't what she'd been taught in school. So it's it's a hard thing to learn to think for yourself. And the thing that's that one of the things that daunts me is that you know Americans used to bite the quarter, and by, by that what I mean is they used to make sure that every fact that was passed in front of them was true. Mm-hmm. They were very very factual and and practical people. And they're not now. You know, I mean, after all these years of indoctrination by public schooling, I guess that's what's gotten them. I don't know. Well, that's what my dad but, said. My dad said years ago, he said, David, when they got the educational system, we were done. And I, I never sunk in as far as it should have, I guess, when he told me. And years and years later, of course, we homeschooled our kids. But but when I when I started encountering kids that weren't homeschooled, I went, oh, my God, my dad was right. You can't you can't talk to them. Oh, they've, they've, if you've got kids that, that were put through college, they've been raised as little Marxists. Yeah, yeah. They, you literally can't talk to them because they, they're the, they've been brainwashed with an ideology, and they don't know how to think logically. They just can't do it. But, you know, in spite of all that, in spite of all that, you know, I deal with a lot of people around the country, and I, there are a lot of good, honest, moral people out there who, who have Decent values left. You know, there are a lot of them. Sure. There are more of them than there are the other kind. Yeah. I'm convinced there are. Of the pure evil so, kind, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of the middle, yeah, yeah there's a lot of, of the middle ambivalent who get swayed either way. But yeah, the, the purest, if you will. Yeah, I think there's more pure good or, or good leaning trying to be uh, decent human beings than there are those who are of the evil, truly evil persuasion. I, I think that's right. I really do. But. Somehow or the other, right now, what's happened is everybody is intimidated. They're afraid to say anything. You were mentioning this before. They're afraid to say anything, afraid somebody accuse them of being a racist. And, you know, that's just like throwing a cow pie at somebody. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to stick to make you smell bad. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, all of these people are scared to say anything. Well, any, if everybody in America is, stand, is afraid to be the first to stand up and, and fight, and stand up and say, no, this is wrong. We're never going to stop anything. It's going to go to its, to its terrible conclusion. And the terrible conclusion, look, they started out beheading statues. Yep. They're going to end up, just like the French Revolution, beheading people. Yes, I know. That's the way they are. And, and that's, the, you know, that's the logic of their, uh, that's the logic of their, of their ideology. Well, Frank, let me... Let me people, it, always, people always become more consistent with what they believe. Yes, they always do. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you. I mean, this, we got off on a little bit of a tangent here. I don't mind. I like just discussing these things with you. I think it's very beneficial for the the listening. Um, uh, matter of fact, Schaefer just wrote in the in the chat room. Impossible to argue with that, Franklin. <laughs> um, 
so, so, so our listeners obviously are of the type where proofs and facts and figures do matter. I was going to ask you, though, on a, on a side note, have you watched the movie A Hidden Life about Franz Jagerstadter, the Austrian who wouldn't fight for the Nazis? No, uh-uh, I have not. If you if you have a chance, pick it up. I watched it the other night. It's very powerful, but I watched it with a slightly different angle. The angle I was trying to watch it from, you know, they always try to go with the conscientious objector angle, and that's fine. I have nothing wrong with that. I, I I get that. I was more interested in the population around him. Why was he the only one who had this principled stand against the evil that was assailing his country? And when you see all the arguments from the priest, from the mayor, from even from his wife, but his wife and, of course, his mother relented and supported him. But even early on, they were like, but we're going to lose everything. You know what? And, and everyone had their own angle. It was Some of it was sel- selfish. Um, some of it was uh, power politics. Some of it was uh, co- you know, trying to cop out. And, and I realized I was watching this. And I was like, that's America. That's that's America. Everyone, exactly. one guy stands up and everyone tells him, "Please shut up, man! You're you're screwing up. We're going to get killed if you keep saying that kind of stuff." <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 you're like, "But if we don't say it, then we're all going to get killed anyway. So what difference does it make, right?" Um, they don't yeah. see it. They don't see exactly. it. Well, if you if you read about Germany in that in that period and Hitler coming to power, you realize that. It looks a lot like America, because the people were so loyal to their government, mm-hmm. and and you know they, they didn't think of themselves as Nazis, because the Nazis were not Germany. Germany was Germany, mm-hmm. and and they were incredibly loyal. And when if you look at the United States today, you see a lot the same thing, you know. And and you because you have to ask yourself this question: How does this nation, Germany, sitting in the middle of Europe? That was known forever as the land of poets and thinkers. That was a the one of the most religious countries in one of the most Christian countries in Europe. How did they go bad like that? Yeah, yeah. What happened to them? How did they get so far off the off the track of everything that's right? And the answer is that just that group thing. Yeah. I mean, part of the answer is the group thing took hold of them, and they refused to stand for what was right. Although. There were a lot, like this this Austrian you're talking about, there were a lot that we don't know about. There were many men that we don't know about who did stand up, but you don't hear very much about them. Well, if you if you have a yeah. chance, pick up that movie, A Hidden Life. It's about it's, it's three hours long, by the way. So it's it's, <laughs> it, it, but but wow. some, but it's three hours. A lot of times because they'll just t- they'll show you landscape pictures, right? And they're trying to show yeah. you what Franz Jagerstadter one. He was a farmer. He's like, I live in the mountains. I farm. I, I I like. He even described his home as a nest. I just want to live in my nest. Why can't you leave me alone? <laughs> you, you know, why can't you leave me alone? And the answer is no. You got to believe like we believe. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's very powerful. I think if you look at it from the angle I was talking about, you're going to see, you're going to see one American after another, after another in those characters. And you're going to go, Oh my Lord. So I guess the insight to me was this. I'm talking to uh, Franklin Sanders here on the True Money Show. We're not talking money yet. We will in a second, guys. I promise you. Uh, if you want to call Franklin, 844-527-8723. What got me was there is just no way for... America as it stands now, to change the course it's on, if we act like those people acted, which is self-interest, or like I said, or power politics, or fear, cowardice, like you were talking about, frankly, early cowardice and not standing up to what's clearly evil, if you 
Uh, if you say there's no norm, so we can't have a police force to enforce normality. Uh, if you can topple statues, you can rewrite history. If we're willing to go along with all that, that's exactly what was happening in Germany and Austria. And one or two or five or 10 or 100 people stood up against it, but it just wasn't enough. Guys, when you hear the truth, you got to join those people. That's why how I started off. I, I was reading Franklin's story, and I, I wish I could have joined you at that time and helped. I don't know what I could have done. I, it might not, might not have made two cents worth of difference, but I think you might have liked at least a little camaraderie at the time. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> you better believe it. It gets awfully lonesome at times. When you're the only one, you begin to wonder whether you're crazy or not. Oh, I know. I know. All right. Well, let's do a little bit of money talk. So I know my listeners have ordered uh, gold from you before, and I, I notice that you're not directly involved in the precious metals purchase. And so I want to start off with who you're recommending for purchases now, and, uh, and, I, and I think you're still kind of quasi-involved with that, aren't you? Well, I am. I still I still write, and I still publish a newsletter, and I publish a daily commentary. But uh, my son's started a company to trade gold and silver, uh, volunteer precious metals. And uh, they're the ones I recommend because, you know, they, they're following the, the same course that I've followed for years and years. And, of course, you know, David, there's some uh, strategies that we use that nobody else uses. Now, I don't know why. I don't claim that I'm that much smarter than everybody else. But, for instance, we do a gold-silver swapping strategy that multiplies ounces without adding anything to your investment, things like that. And we, you know, we try to get people the most gold and silver they can get for their money because one of the things that's axiomatic, one of the axioms that I've learned about gold and silver over the years is premium always disappears. Premium is that, that whatever you pay above the gold or silver value of an item. Now, there's always going to be a little premium because you've got to pay everybody that's involved in the transaction. But when you get these big high premiums, you just don't make them back later. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'll say, say a little more about it. Well, let me just dive in right now. Um, we saw in 2008, and again this year when the stock market crashed, a buying panic in gold and silver. Okay. The gold and silver prices crashed, too, briefly, but it set off a buying panic. I, I have no other way to put it. I mean, people just just were crazy to get their hands on gold and silver. I guess, they, you know, they're so frightened. And so what happens is the gold and silver, the physical gold and silver pipeline, especially for retail products, is very, very thin, and it drains very quickly. So when that happens... Um, Premiums go up, and so this is a you know this is kind of an this is an exception to the rule I just gave you about premium always disappears. This premium will disappear too, but right now if you're going to buy, you have to pay the premium, mm-hmm. and the premiums got way higher. They they climb way faster and higher in silver than they did in gold. In silver, the the premiums you know maybe went from three percent to nine percent, something like that on gold coins. In silver, they went from about 3 or 4% to nearly 40%. Oh, Lord. Wow. Yeah. And and the thing is, if you weren't willing to pay, you know, as my wife used to say, if you if you don't pay, you can't play. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's just the way it is if you want to buy it. And it's turned out, it's turned out to be, it, it's worked well to buy even with a high premium because, as you know, silver uh, is now hitting 
nine year highs. Yeah, yeah. And and so is gold. So and the, and the reason for that is that there it it had started up. It's it went into gold and silver rose from ninety nine and two thousand one until two thousand eleven, and then it went into this correction that lasted really until last year. And last year, about about this time, both silver and gold climbed up over what had been five-year resistance. So these levels that they climbed over for five years or six years had stopped them every time. Yeah. This time they got through them, and they kept advancing, and they kept advancing, and they kept advancing. Well, what happened recently in the last month is that silver uh, has gone through, yeah, I guess you'd say, I guess it's about, so it's really nine-year resistance, and gold has broken to new all-time record highs, uh, and by by a wide margin too. The the all-time record high close in 2011 was eighteen hundred eighty-eight dollars and eighty cents, and yesterday, well, today it gold closed at nineteen fifty-three forty. So here's the thing: above that, I mean, you know how to read a chart. Above that, there's no resistance. <clears throat> yep. There's now there isn't silver still. But there is none in gold, and I had a I had a I write this daily commentary that I sent out by email, and I I had a reader write and said, well, how come nineteen nineteen hundred dollars was the top in two thousand eleven, but now you're saying it's just the beginning of a of a long run? Well, the answer is to, in two thousand eleven that peak came at the top of of a twelve year price rise, but today. We're just now breaking out into a new leg up that's going to go, that'll run eight to ten years, and gold will conservatively uh, multiply by seven and a half times from its low back in 2015, which is was at a thousand fifty dollars, and silver will will multiply twelve and a half times. Well, folks, if you're one, if you're wondering if, if you're wondering how high is high, he's talking seven thousand dollars. Uh, but his point is that there is, if you don't have a resistance line, there is nothing that, should, that can stop the price climb. I mean, obviously, demand could falter. We could have some chicanery going on. I, you know, Franklin's not saying there's no imaginary top. He's just saying that there's nothing to really make it pause. And if it keeps getting bid up, it could darn well get bid up seven times. And, and uh, well, the first leg up uh, that ended in 2011, gold rose seven and a half times. It went from $254 to $1,900. Silver rose 12 and a half times. And there's a rule of thumb in technical analysis that that the third leg up is never the shortest leg up. So they should rise at least that much. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that to explain this is not just, I'm not just blowing smoke. Right. Uh, there's a, there's a sound reason for saying that. Not only that, but there's a fundamental reason driving silver and gold too. And the fundamental reason is this: the Federal Reserve and the federal government, in partnership, have already said since March that they're going to create 4.5 trillion new dollars. Crazy. And they're probably going to create more than that before it's before it's all over. Yeah. But the but once that four $4.5 trillion gets in the hands of the banks, the banks can multiply it 10 times, which means that you're talking about as much as $45 trillion added to the money supply. There is no way that they can do that without gutting 
the dollar. It, you just, it's just not possible to create that many new dollars without driving the price of all of them down. Yeah. And, and they're determined, and they're doing what they said they were going to do. Uh, if you look at, at what the, the Fed has, has done, it's nearly doubled its balance sheet. It nearly doubled its balance sheet in about six or eight weeks. And it's crazy. I mean, they, they, David, I used to to make forecasts about what what the government do, would do, what they do in the monetary system. I just I'm just stunned today because I, I would my imagination is not great enough to imagine <laughs> the things that they're doing. Well, I was gonna, I was going to answer that question. So, <clears throat> and and you may not care, but I'm just curious. So how much, okay, when you talk about a gold run-up, or so, it doesn't matter, any of the metals running up in, in, in dollars value, right? How much of that is dollar devaluation, and how much of that is demand, or does it even matter? Well, it's, it's more than one thing working together. Part, part of it is it's, the gold and silver are not driven by industrial demand. They're driven by monetary demand. Correct, right. And mon- monetary demand means people lose confidence in the monetary and financial system. So some of it is depreciation, but some of it is anticipation of more depreciation. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that pure mon- monetary demand. And during the uh, 1923 inflation, hyperinflation in Germany, there was, uh, and actually this was described by a writer about the, uh, by Andrew Dixon White about the French revolutionary uh, hyperinflation. It's called the, the law of increasing uh, depreciation. And what happens is the public begins to anticipate that the currency is going to depreciate, so they begin discounting the currency faster than it actually depreciates, oh, okay. faster than it's being printed. And so when that dynamic takes place, you get the sort of situation you've seen in Venezuela and Zimbabwe in the last decade or so. Right. And, you know, it's happened over and over and over in the world, and people want to say, oh, look, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. This is the United States. <laughs> right, we're talking about we're talking about the U.S. dollar, the king, the the world's reserve currency. We're talking about the king. Well, you know, Germany before World War One was the economic powerhouse of Europe, had the most scientific and the soundest banking system in the in the uh, in the world, and uh, somehow or the other, they went into a hyperinflation. So nobody is immune to a hyperinflation if you have a central bank that creates currency out of the air. And we have a banking system and a central bank that create currency out of nothing. So when I say currency, I mean money. So we've got exactly the same kind of system, and it can go go into a hyperinflation too. Um, It it can happen. I, I know it. People think it can't happen. There's, there's more than that, because since 2014, central banks around the world have been shifting reserves out of dollars, out of dollars, and into gold. And you can go back and look at the, look at the statistics about their reserves, and you can see it happening. You can look at how much U.S. government debt is in the hands of foreign holders, and you can see the same, uh, official foreign holders, and you can see the same thing. So there's already a shift 
out of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And you know as well as I do, the Chinese and the the uh, Russians recognize yep. that the dollar is the greatest weapon the U.S. government has. It's yep. not the atomic bomb. It's that dollar. Yep. Well, that's and, – and I said a long time ago that when that reserve status would start to, sh- to shake, and it already has, and also when those – different unilateral, I mean, bilateral agreements would start happening, like BRIC did a few years ago, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Hey, let's create our own little currency that we'll use between us. Um, when that started happening and they, and the bailout of what you're talking about, the, getting rid of those dollars as reserve currency, because that, that would be the natural play, right? If you're China, you're holding a bunch of U.S. dollars, you say, hey, I'm getting screwed with this holding. I can make this other arrangement on the side and, and dump some of these dollars. That is a huge inflationary impact. It's going to be a, a complete destru- – I mean, our dollar's value is going to go through the floor. Uh, not that it already hasn't, but um, – so absolutely. I, th- I thought that was going to be one of the major power plays that was going to hit us, and I think it's hitting us uh, now. I think it's going to continue to hit us as we go forward. Uh, I'm talking to Franklin Sanders. Right. This is on the True Money Show. I'm David Simpson. We're talking a little gold and silver, and we jumped right in. I'm going to get back to some uh, questions I had for Franklin. If you got your own question, call 844-527-8723. I noticed the phone was ringing there just a minute ago. I'm not sure it got uh, – I think they, they stopped. Uh, Jazz Will in the chat room said this. Um, not that I'm trying to pat us in the back, but I think it, it is a, a point worth raising. Mr. Wonderful, you and Franklin were fundamental in recognizing the bottom of the silver market in the middle of March after premium the value is up 150% since then. Um, yeah, Jazz, I don't think it was, uh, you know, I wasn't a mind reader and neither was Franklin. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, what was the, what did the max ratio get between silver and gold? Was it over a hundred or did it stay under a hundred? Well, it was 125.33 based on the COMEX closing. Oh my Lord. And, and what, what you have to understand about that is if you go back 4,500 years to 2,500 BC, the ratio has always been below 100 to 1, except for three times. 1941, when Roosevelt was monkeying with the silver market. 1991, after the big, long silver bull market in the 60s and 70s. And this year, and and you know enough about any, I mean, you know enough about numbers to know that when you get a, when you get a, an outlier that's that extreme, yep. The market pendulum is going to swing back the other way. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I, I tell you, David, I had the the advantage too of living through the buying panic in 2008, and I have all the charts and all the data, and I paid very, very close attention to it. And what happened was there was a spike down in gold and silver that started in the middle of September when the stock market started crashing, and within 45 days. That spike down had been completed, and silver and gold started up, and they did not stop for the next three years, from November of 2008 until September of 2011. They rose. Stocks, you may remember, went down from September yep. uh, to March of 2009. Correct. And gold and silver outperformed stocks for the next three years. So, you know, having seen that and having lived through it, once we got past about 45 days, now, it was a little different in 2008. It was a double bottom, and this time it wasn't. But after we got through 45 days or so, it became obvious silver and gold are not going to go back down. Yeah, They're not. That spike low, that, you know, that terror 
terrorized crisis low had passed. Yeah, and that and so, that, that guy's article that I sent you that, that said that gold tracked down with stocks, that was the only track down I saw was an immediate spike down, and after that it ran up. I don't know what he was talking about. I know uh, uh, guys that are listening, you're probably not following me because I'm talking about an article I sent to Franklin that I wanted to discuss slightly on this thing. But he was claiming that gold went down with stocks in the 2008 crisis. I was like, that's not my recollection. So I went and looked at the chart, and the chart, sure enough, like Franklin's saying now, there was a spike down. But after that, it ran up, and it never stopped looking back. No, it never did. No. And, and, and the dollar was low. The dollar spiked up, which you'd expect. There was a panic into, into dollars during 2008. And then within, as I remember, 10 months, all of the gains that the dollar had made were gone. Well, now, the dollar hasn't behaved that way this time. The dollar spiked down with, with stocks, and it's come, it came back up, but now it's, it's dropped way, way off in the last three months. And I think part of that is because the Federal, Federal Reserve policy is to keep the dollar low. Mm. I'm pretty confident that's, that's what it is because, they, you know, part of what they did in March was announced that they announced new dollar swaps with various central banks. There are about 14 or 15 central banks at least. And what they were trying to do was, so, you know, they're all, there's a lot of debt out there that's denominated in dollars that's been borrowed by countries other than the United States, but especially in the developing world. So I'm sure what the Fed is worried about is all of these countries find their own currencies devaluing against the dollar. Yeah. And that means they can't pay that dollar debt. So rather than have a panic for dollars and do- drive the dollar up, they keep making dollars artificially available to the market. So I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, I keep watching it, I keep watching it, the dollar just keeps dropping, it keeps dropping. Uh, I watched the dollar index, and that it just doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. And I, when I'm, I think there, in any event, there'll be a snapback rally. But it appears to me that the government and the Fed's policy is to keep the dollar exchange rate low. All right, Franklin, hold that, hold that thought for a little bit. We're going to come back to you. We're going to take a little break here. Uh, when we come back, I want to continue this conversation with Franklin, and, and you're going to want to hear this because i got one doozy of a question for him that I think he'll go off on, and we can all just sit back and listen and enjoy. <laughs> when we come back to the True Money Show on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. If you got it, you don't need it. If you need it, you don't got it. You don't get it. The True Money Show is to people's love of fiat currency what Van Helsing was to Satan's love of Dracula. Welcome back to the True Money Show. I am David Simpson. You're listening to me. I'm coming from the Crusade Channel, Bulldog Kia Studio, the last live radio station standing. I have my guest on hold, Franklin Sanders, 
who um, is going to enlighten us about the state of the world today. And I can't wait to ask him the question. He already kind of alluded to what he thought of COVID, but I'm going to ask him about, uh, I'm going to give him a series of of facts about our country and then ask him a a question I think he'll probably chuckle at first and then go off, go off on. Uh, I'll get back to that in just a minute. Don't forget, I'm going to do the most important question in all of financial planning. You you don't think I can do that with the time I have left on the show? Watch me. I'm, I'm a skilled purveyor of truth. I can do it. I'm going to tell you the least secure way to pay for things. You probably already know what it is. You probably use it all the time. Here's the thing. The article never tells you the best way to pay for things. They give you two other really bad ways. Isn't it normal? They, they tell you about a problem and they give you a worse problem as a solution. Sounds kind of fishy to me. We're going to do all that plus my financial question today, which is where should you store your wealth? And what does storage mean to you anyway? You want to join this show, 844-527-8723. You can call in. You can email me. I'll go check that now. David at TFFCO.com. And you can also uh, join the chat room. I saw the chat room was uh, was humming in here. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash, forward slash, it's hard to say, chat. Okay, let's get back to Franklin um, and see... Well, I'm going to ask him a few questions about how to invest in gold and the like. Franklin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So um, we have talked before, and I know the basic answer. You know, you're, you are always an advocate of bullion, um, physical possession, and the like. Um, of course, it's still investing. You know, you, like you said you watch the gold-silver ratio. You do your swap strategies and the like. Um, but I wanted to ask you. Because you discuss all these things in your newsletter. By the way, a very fine newsletter. You want to get signed up for any of Franklin's writings, go to the-moneychanger.com. Uh, so what about any of the other varieties of investing? Are you strictly bullion, or do you say there's other ways you can play this game with variances of recommendations on whether you would do it a big, little, or not at all? What do you, what, how do you recommend investing if other than bullion? Okay, you mean other than gold and silver? Correct. Investing other than gold and silver. Well, you know, the main, my main goal is I want to be, because the dollar is going down, I want to be out of dollar-denominated investments. Dollar-denominated investments are investments that promise to pay dollars in the future or that are whose, whose fate is tied to the dollar. Okay. That would be like stocks. Bonds promise to pay dollars in the future, and dollars tomorrow are going to be worth less than dollars today. Right. So I don't want to. I don't want to be in dollar anything dollar denominated. So that what that leaves that really leaves gold and silver, land and other productive assets. And by productive assets, I mean things that can kick off a stream of income for you: mm-hmm. a gas station, a grocery store, a, a, a factory, any of those things can kick off a stream of income for you and that's what I, that's what I want to be in today rather than financial assets. Now as far as investing in silver and gold, I think everybody should start with physical gold and silver because gold and silver are the ultimate money, you know, they're the ultimate cash. And that that's the reason you buy them because the other kind of cash, the paper cash is is depreciating in value. But it doesn't mean do me any good to have $10,000 in cash if I'm in Louisiana and my cash is in New Jersey. You see what I mean? Sure. Got to be 
you want it nearby you. However, there's such a thing as an embarrassment of riches, and when you start investing in silver, you know if you if you're trying to put half a million dollars in silver, transportation becomes a problem, and it becomes you know a, a, not a terribly significant cost, but a part of the cost. So at that point, you can think about depositories, but you can still invest in physical gold or silver. You just have to use a depository to uh, to store it. I do not like exchange-traded funds. Look, I know everybody recommends exchange-traded funds like GLD or SLV. These are these are funds that are are traded. Their shares or ownership in them is traded on the stock exchange, like a stock, and they're supposed to have a certain amount of. They're supposed to be sitting on a pile of silver or gold. Correct. And the and the, and the fact is. If you read their indentures, which I did years ago, what you see is that they don't actually have that gold or silver. They can have uh, uh, obligations from other companies that say, we owe you X, X number of ounces of gold and silver. And those obligations might be subrogated two or three times. Jeez. You, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, it might be a, a remove of two or three times. Well, listen, listen, listen. When you you know, this is like I owe you a dollar, but John owes me a dollar, Fred <laughs> owes him a dollar. You know, and all at, at the end, it's going to get to Joe. And if Joe hadn't got the dollar, nobody has the dollar. Yeah. And and the thing that I know, look, since 1980 at least, the the financial system has specialized in securitization and fractionalization. Yeah. What I mean is they have turned every asset into a security that could be traded like a piece of paper, Correct. like a stock. Yeah. And they, they have always fractionalized everything that they've done. Banks fractionalize. You go into a bank, if the bank has if the banking system has a three quarters of one percent reserve requirement, you deposit a hundred dollars in the bank, the banking system can turn that into thirteen thousand three hundred thirty three dollars. Do the math. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. That's what they that's what they do. And so I don't trust Wall Street to promise me and to make good on the promise that oh yeah, we got the gold, it's in a vault somewhere. Oh, somebody else owes it to me. Well one I th- don't trust that. Yeah, one of the things so, so Franklin mentioned one, spider gold, S P D R gold shares is the symbol is G L D. I'll I'll tell you, I read the thing today because I got curious. Um you go look. You go press the go go do it yourself, guys. Look up GLD, then press on the holdings tab, and it says at the bottom, Gold Trust. And you go, okay, what's Gold Trust? So then, so then I read, okay, what's the purpose of this fund? It says it seeks to reflect the performance of gold bullion, and then they say this: it holds gold bars and issues and redeems baskets. I'm putting that in air finger quotes. Because I have no idea what a basket is in exchange for gold. Well, Franklin just told you he they are basically buying forward contracts. Uh, they're doing margins. You know, they're doing hedging. They're doing all kinds of things that really aren't gold at all, but they can claim that they have the right to gold. Well, good luck finding it or having it. Or like you said, if, if Joe's the only one who doesn't have the dollar, good luck getting Joe to pay. Um, so, I, I, look, I, I, I'm never going to tell someone that they can't invest in something. I'm an advisor, not a dictator. I'm just going to tell you that these things get very shady and very hazy. And if you like that environment, fine. <laughs> but if you don't, then you might want to get the actual metal in your hand. Let me give you an example. This, this is 
this is not speculation. This is not my reasoning back from from facts that, that exist or anything like that. This is what actually happened, okay? When I talk about fractionalization, think about the futures market. In the futures market, fewer than probably 1% of the silver contracts that are traded for 5,000 ounces are actually settled by trading silver, okay, by, by somebody delivering bars of silver. Yeah. Most of them are, are settled by buying the opposing contract. If I'm short a contract, I buy a contract. If I'm long a contract, I sell a contract. And that crosses the one crosses out the other. They offset each other. So you, you understand what I'm saying, that they're on this little tiny point of physical gold or physical silver, they have built this gigantic pyramid yeah. of obligation. Yeah. Now, here's the proof. Here's the proof that they don't, that the gold and silver they say they have doesn't exist. The spread between London gold and New York gold, which usually is minimal if it exists at all, because, you know, if it gets to be 50 cents or 20 cents or whatever it is, if it costs 20 cents an ounce to, to ship it by airplane to to London, then at any price over 20, somebody's going to jump in mm-hmm. and buy it in one where it's short, where it's higher, uh, Buy it where it's sell it while it's higher, where it's higher. Right, make the market. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. They're, they're, and that's what brings the market, those prices back together. Well, gold went to a $70 an ounce premium in New York. And the COMEX, all the, this is back in March, and the COMEX all of a sudden begins to offer a 400 ounce contract. Well, what's, what's that all about? Well, the contracts here are either in kilo bars or they're in 100-ounce bars. But the contracts in, on the London futures market, the London Bullion Exchange, is for 400-ounce bars. And you can't, you can't deliver a 400-ounce bar against a contract here. So there was no gold to deliver in London. I, I'm sorry, in, in, in New, York? Uh, New York, because the passenger flights that normally carry the gold were all canceled because of COVID. So all of a sudden there wasn't there wasn't enough gold to deliver, and people all over the world started buying gold and, and delivering it to to New York, and so a big flood of gold came in. But the point that I'm making is, you can't assume that markets will always be hmm. stable and unpanicked. Agreed, 100 percent. No, yeah, there's no margin of safety in those futures markets. There's no margin of safety in these bullion banks who just, frankly, are crooks who sell more gold or silver than they have. That's what they do. That's how they make money. That's how they manipulate the market. So that's the reason why I want physical gold and silver. Another way you can buy gold and silver is to buy the stocks of companies that produce gold or silver. The problem there is that you add another layer of risk to the gold or silver price. And that layer of risk is, how well is that company run? Gold and silver might skyrocket, but if that company is poorly run, or if if they're in a country where their mine is nationalized, yeah, yeah. or their their mine is flooded, there's an explosion or something like that, they don't make money. Well, let me ask you but, this about, about mining companies. So I've never heard of this particular one. So I'm going to another article. This article I did not send you. I'll tell you the name of it. You can look it up yourself if you'd like. It's by Bram, Bram de Haas. 
my favorite ways to bet on gold from Seeking Alpha, he said this about a particular way. And so what is a royalty? He said, do a royalty company. Uh, he, I'll read you what he says. Uh, there's a reason they outperform. Royalty companies have a superior business model. They provide a form of specialized financing. This financing is tailored to the needs of the mining industry. Royalty companies tend to get awarded a higher multiple to their earnings, revenue earnings. Consequently, mining companies can arbitrage the difference by offloading a number of unused royalties slash claims. Blah, he goes on and on. He says these things are as, almost as safe as treasuries, if you believe treasuries are safe. Um, are you familiar with the royalty company process, and is that a decent way to play gold? Well, something like Franco Nevada Gold is, is one of those. Uh, what they do is they buy the output of a gold or silver company in advance, and they they that that's what he's talking about financing. And so basically, they've got a stream of gold and silver that is coming in from various different companies. Okay, and they've they've done really well. Franco Nevada, I think, was the first one with that business model, and they've it's probably been. 30 years ago that they started. Um, but, yes, that, that that's a good way to invest in them. But, you know, gold and silver stocks, uh, they can be real bonanzas because what you're doing is you're buying gold or silver in the ground. And let's say that the price of gold is $1,000 an ounce and the price of mining that ounce of gold that the company, company's got 10,000 acres in the ground. Well, the company is worthless because it costs as much to get the gold out of the ground as it as the gold sells for. Right. But if the price of but if the price of gold goes up a hundred dollars, now all of a sudden those ten thousand ounces that it's got in the ground are worth a hundred dollars times ten thousand. Mm-hmm. So the company suddenly has huge gains because of the leverage that it has to the gold price. Right. So uh, I mean, I'm I'm all in favor of gold and silver mining stocks, but the only problem is you have to be very careful about what you're doing because there are a lot of crooks in that business, too. Yeah. You know, Mark, Twain, Mark Twain said that a, uh, a gold mine is a hole in the ground with a liar at the mouth. <laughs> and that, you know, that, that's still that's still true. That you know, I, I, that. Grew, I, I grew up and still live in Louisiana, and the oil fields were not a whole lot different, frankly. <laughs> oh, it's the same exact thing. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. Yeah. You uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, Sandy has a question in the chat room, <clears throat> and I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it. Ask Mr. Sanders, I have a great uncle. He is relatively poor, but he does have a good amount of silver coins in his possession. What should he do with them? She even showed a picture of one. What do you say? Should the poor uncle liquidate his silver, or should he hold on to it? No, he ought to hold on to it. Here's here's the thing. That there's um, From where we are now, silver and gold are just beginning their run. That's that, We were just starting a five- to eight-year run. That's going to go rise many, many multiples of of where it is now, and so he ought to just hold on to it. And you, you know, one of the things that I I try one of the ways I try to explain to people to invest in gold and silver is what I call a self administered gold annuity. In other words, what, you know, an annuity is with an, a regular annuity, you give some insurance company a big chunk of money, and then over the years they give you back little dribs and drabs of money. Right, and they. Ex- they expect to make money out of your money. That's the reason why they're to be they're so generous as to do that. Yeah. You don't need them. You can do that yourself. Yeah. Take you know, take a hundred thousand dollars or whatever you got to spend, go out and buy a big chunk of gold 
right, in, in coin form. And then however many, uh, however much you need, money you need to exist on a month, that month just liquidate that much gold, enough gold to raise that, that fund. It's just an, it's an annuity, you know, you just, you just sell it off a little bit at a time. Well, what our uncle has there is a silver annuity. And so he, if he doesn't need to sell it yet, what he needs to do is to hold on to it at, you know, until yeah. it's obvious that the, the price has gone up a while. And by that, what I mean is, you know, I'd want it to be over $50 an ounce at least before I was, before I'd be tempted to sell. And I think it's going much higher than that. But the, right now you're on the right side of the curve. The curve is rising. The curve for silver and gold is rising. And the longer you wait to sell, the better off you're going to be. Wow. Well, I think it's a good play for the uncle because he could, like you said, uh, wait for it to double. Again, it's at 24. Wait to get to 48. He can liquidate a little bit, live on that. Wait a little bit longer. It's at 75. He liquidates a little bit more, live on. And he can li- each time he's liquidating less, by the way, Sandy, because fewer coins are going to, are going to equal the money he needs. Um, so right. it, it could be quite a, quite a good play for him. Let me ask you this, Franklin. Uh, one quick question, then I'm going to ask you my doozy for the day because we're going to run out of time, and I want you to answer the doozy. But one on the mining stock issue, and not that I'm – guys, please understand, I'm not recommending mining stocks. Franklin's going kind of a – he doesn't really recommend it either, but he says if you're, if you're good at watching stocks and you can do analysis and you're going to, and you're going to do the due diligence of the time, that can be beneficial to you. Um, do, you do mining stocks lag or lead the bullion price market? In other words, will the stock price rise after gold starts to run up, as I think you said, or do, will they actually lead because people see gold coming? They've actually been lagging, okay. but they will out, they will outperform gold, and the reason that they will outperform gold over time is that that leverage that I was talking about. Okay, so the price of the stock might lag, but when they get on the run, they might get on a real tear. Right, right. That's that's what they usually do, and you you know you can go to stockcharts dot com and take the GDX gold uh, stock index and divide it by the divide that by the price of gold or gold, by either way you want to do it. And you can see uh, whether they're leading or lagging. But they'll, they'll generally outperform, but they may lag at the first, and that's what they've been doing for some time. All right. It's hard uh, to catch up now. You're listening to Franklin Sanders here on the True Money Show. I'm David Simpson. Uh, Frank, we have about five minutes left before I'm going to have to let you go and, and get back to the rest of the show. But I wanted to ask you this question. And I only got about halfway through the questions I had. I had a, I had a gold-silver ratio question for you. I had uh, cautions that I wanted to ask you for bullion holders. Is there anything they need to look out for? I'm going to skip all that and bring you back on faster than I normally do. Maybe I can bring you back on in a month or so and you can get to these other questions I have. I think gold and silver are going to be in the news for quite a while, guys. So I think Franklin would come on every week and we'd have something to talk about. But let me ask you this. So you did, and I'm, I did in air finger quotes there, you did an interview with Jerome Powell in your recent newsletter. Uh, <laughs> and, you, and if you want to read that, go to the-moneychanger.com and sign up for, for um, Franklin's uh, newsletter. You will not be disappointed. So, And I just looked at it. I glanced at it for a, a quick little question. So here's my question to you. We have COVID-19 some, or something, whatever, whatever it is out there that's really serious. You know it's serious, and I know it's serious. We've got we to make sure we know it's serious, Franklin. We have unemployment. Our governor yesterday talked about his unemployment fund being bankrupt. Uh, we have stimulus checks going out again. Thank God the government's there to protect us. And we have the Fed buying everything. So I'm asking the money changer, after you talked to Jerome Powell and got inside information from the Federal Reserve chairman, are you a bull or a bear on America's future? 
<laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, they have wrecked the economy. There's no, there's no way. It'll take, it'll take at least 10 years to recover the damage they've done. I was reading a statistic the other day. That's the only place I've seen it, but something like uh, 64% of the restaurants in New York have gone out of business and will not come back. Oh, something gosh. like 34% of the small businesses in the, in the country will not, will not come back to life. So, you know, the small businesses are the ones that hire everybody. Yeah. That's the, they're, they're the margin, the cutting edge of the economy. And, they're not coming back. They're, they're just not coming back. And the damage that's been done to the economy can't be undone. And it's, it's worse than that. You know, it, it, the longer you think about it, the worse it gets because the Fed is bailing out all of this bad debt. The Fed is misdirecting more capital, which means more capital will be destroyed by companies that are uneconomical and ought to go out of business. Yeah. And so the longer they keep it it literally the the longer he keeps patching up this exploding balloon of debt, the worse it's going to be. And they're determined to do it. And they, and and what, what? Who will pay for this? Those people who own dollars will pay for this because it will depreciate the dollars. There's nothing they won't stop at. They took the bank, the reserves off the banks. If you look at the at the stuff they can buy, they can buy the junkiest yep. junk bonds. They can buy any kind of and they have crap. been yeah and they have been and they have been yeah and they will and and you know I, I don't even have time to begin to talk about all the crazy securitized debt obligations collateralized debt obligations commercial real estate obligations uh, mortgage backed security it's just on and on and on it's way bigger than two thousand eight so that all that has to be broken has to be swept away, cleaned out, and go away. And and after damaging the economy, as they've done with these lockdowns, there's no way the economy is going to come snap back in, in 2021. The, the, It'll the, take 10 years to undo that damage. Even, even the supply chain that they just abruptly stopped, and then they were slaughtering cows and pigs and chickens and everything, and then they're going to try to rehab. You can't restart a supply chain. It's, it's an ongoing process. Now you have to get the whole ball rolling again. It's dead. It's a dead. It's a done deal. I've been, I've, been, I've been debating whether it's the last quarter of this year or the first quarter of next year where we see one of the worst slams of all time. What, do you have a time frame prognostication on that? No, you know, the thing is, they, they're talking about sending everybody another $1,200 check, yeah. right? Yep, they do. They're talking about flying more, flying more helicopters over the country. What are they going to do when the, when, the, when the unemployment runs out and they send all the stimulus checks? Yep. What are they going to do then? Then it comes crashing down. I mean, you know, as crazy as the idea is, universal basic income and modern monetary theory appear to have won. The government's going to keep shoveling out money to, pe- to people who have no chance of getting a job because there's no economy out there. Yeah. And that, again, that brings me back in a circle to the same thing. They're going to destroy the dollar. Well, frankly, so uh, we've speculated around here because we have some, some conspiratorial turns of mind that this thing, this thing really was just an outright attack on small business. What do you think? I don't, I don't have any doubt of it. Uh, Martin Armstrong. Do you know who Martin Armstrong is? He's an economist. And no. You can look him up. He, Armstrong's a really smart guy. Uh, but he he wrote a 
a book about the whole thing, and he thinks that the whole COVID scare is a product of the New World Order who wants to impose its climate change agenda yeah. on the world. And so they're using it as an excuse to impose, impose that climate change uh, agenda. And by the way, climate change, if you were looking for a conspiratologist, you can, you can talk to me on that, because I wrote about the, the uh, environmental movement back in the late 80s and early 90s for about five years. And I can tell you, global warming is hogwash. <laughs> there, is nothing to, there is nothing to that at all. But here's the dangerous thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that's so lethal, is that these people hate humanity. Yeah. And you, I know you're going to think that this is oh, this is some kind of extreme uh, view. I'm telling you, it's the truth. They hate human beings. They want to reduce the population of the world down to 500 million people. They they want they, these are the people who are behind abortion. Listen, yep. I wrote a I wrote a book in in 1990 about. It's called The Greening. I, I, I did the research for a fellow named Larry Abraham, who was the name on it, and uh, my name was on it, too. And one of the things that I insisted on was that we have to look at the population control movement because that's connected in the environmental movement. Yep. And we did, and the way you do this research is you just write off to all these different foundations for their annual reports, and you can find out what they're doing, what they're planning on doing, and who was giving them the money to do it. Yeah. And so one of the ones that I got was the World Population Council, which is in New York. And I, I'm not kidding you, David. I read it. And it made me sick at my stomach and sick in my soul because of the demonic hatred of humanity that yeah. was expressed in it. Yeah, that's and, the, and that's the and that's the word, Franklin. We've been saying that around here a lot: demonic and satanic. This is not a human concoction. <laughs> this is an no, no, e- no. this is an evil spirit that is running this world, and he's like you said, he's after us. Anybody who has a vestige of humanity left in him, anybody that has a sense at all of, of the creator of the universe, that's got that person's got to go. And I'm and I'm with you. Look, you you said nothing that shocked me. If it shocked the listeners, I don't know. I doubt it because the Crusaders are pretty hardy folk. But um, no, you, I think you're dead on. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not an accident. And and I want you to think about. Here's the depressing thing about it. You know, they shut down the whole whole economy. This has never happened before. Yep. Even trying to force people to wear masks, they shut down the whole economy, and nobody said, "Wait a minute, why, did you forget about the Constitution? Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't have a right to make me wear a mask." You don't have any authority to make me wear a mask. You don't have any authority to make me stay home. You sure don't have any authority to close down church services and tell me I can't take communion. Yeah. You can't do that. Nope. And and the, the depressing thing is so much of the, the church went along with it. Well, the leadership was bought. My church, sadly, took I don't know how many billions of dollars from the government uh, and said, okay, you know, you don't have to come to mass. You don't have to. You don't have to attend services. Everything's not not obligatory. Really, as far as I remember, the, the commandment says it is obligatory, sir. So, so I'm afraid you're wrong on that issue. You know, but they don't care. They got bought by the government, and they're getting more money from them than they are than our our checks in the in the collection plate. So they went where the money is. Well, you know, this is it, it's all it all works together. Things don't have you know. Franklin Roosevelt said. Nothing happens by accident in politics. If it happens, you can be sure somebody made it happen. Yeah. The United States economy was not shut down by 
by accident or by COVID-19. And especially since we know COVID-19, the whole thing is hogwash. Yeah. It doesn't, it had, it's not as bad as the flu is as far as killing people. Yep. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not saying it doesn't kill people. I'm saying it doesn't kill as many people as the flu. It's a non-event. I mean, as, as look, I'm sorry for anybody who dies of the flu. I'm sorry for anybody who dies of pneumonia. I'm sorry anybody who does anything. I, I mean, I'm, I, feel, I feel for the family, and I, I pray for their soul, and I, and I hope that the loss is God gives them peace after the loss. In other words, you're, I know you're that way. I'm that way. That's what a sympathetic human being would do. But we, but we don't change our entire life based on what happens every day. Look, look. If death was the issue, then nobody can drive cars. Heck, you can't chew gum anymore. You, <laughs> you, you might inhale the gum and, and and suffocate. So you can't chew gum. You can't drive cars. You can't climb trees. You can't go swimming. If if death were the issue, they'd have shut everything down a long time ago. It's it's it really is a joke. It it, it is so infuriating. Um, I just had to pull my kid from going to one college because it looks like the college is going to be a, a Orwellian medical asylum next year, and I just can't send my kid there. So now I have to send him to a, a, a school that cost. I was going to pay nothing. Now I'm going to pay $80,000 a year. I don't know. I mean, $80,000 for the four years. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I got to do it because I can't send my kid to that lunatic asylum. Well, that's exactly right. You know, and, and I got to tell you something. I got seven kids, and of those seven, all of them went to college, not all of them graduated, but I had one who went to Nashville Auto Diesel College, yeah. right? He wanted to be a mechanic. That's what he wanted to do. I said, okay, fine. My, my brother went there, as a matter of fact, yeah. Yeah, he went to school for two years, mm -hmm. a little less than two years. He got out. He could get a job. Yep. You understand? And he's done fine. He's independent completely still, and he never wants wants for work. Well, I'm not so sure it's a good idea to send people to a school where they're frustrated all the time because people are are feeding them these lies yep. that contradict all of their values. I know it's I mean, torture for them. Well, that's what I had to convince. Absolutely that's what I had torture. to convince my son of. I, you know, he he was kind of set on that on that. It was a local, well, state school about four hours away from here. And he was kind of set on it because I think he kind of wanted to stay close to home, and he thought the school was in a quaint little town, and it was. And he just kind of, you know, it was, he was attracted to him. It had this, it had this, a scholars program that he was going to be in. He liked it, uh, and he was kind of, you know, disheartened having to change course this late date. I said, "Son, just what you just said." I said, "Institutionally, the thing is bought off on an idea, and they're going to try to program you. They're going to try to redirect you." I said, "You're going there." He, he thought, "I'm going to go there. Yeah, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to fight him." I'm like, "You ain't going to fight, son. They're going to have your hands tied behind your back. There's no fight here. <laughs> they, they they've given up the fight before it even started." I said, "You're done. You'd be toast there." So I said, "Don't go. Don't go there into that nightmare." I said the exact same thing. Go somewhere where you can actually be a free human being and discuss ideas and solve problems and learn things, but don't go into a place where you're basically a Marxist agitator and nothing else. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know where that place is, so you, you know more... You know better places than I do. Well, there's only because. there's only two schools that I know of that don't take federal money, and that's Hillsdale and where we're sitting, Stephen, which is Christendom College in Virginia. Those are the only two that don't take Fed money, and they stay, well, more pure than not. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's face it. We live in this fallen world. It's, it's uh, my Lord. I, I, you know, if, if I could find a hole to jump into that people would leave me alone, I would do it. But I, I haven't found that hole yet, so I'll let you know if I do. Maybe dogwood, no, maybe, maybe dogwood mud hole would take me in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not, no joke, that's part of why I'm here. Uh, and I don't, I don't miss living in the city, and I don't miss putting, you know, we hadn't had any rides out here in dogwood mud hole. I bet you, that? I bet you. Had. We hadn't had any antifa, we hadn't had any of that. What about, what about COVID deaths? I bet you got lots of COVID deaths going on around there, don't you? No. 
No. <laughs> I I finally, finally, about three weeks ago, somebody I knew came down with COVID. So, you know, it's not. But well, I, I got to tell you something funny before I go. I had two two sons. They're they're in their thirties. Well, one of them's in his forties now. But they finished at a school near near here, down in Alabama. They finished college down there. And every night they would every time they would come home they would be red in the face and just blowing fire and smoke and brimstone. And, and I'd say, well, what's wrong? Well, one of them said, look, I found out how to turn invisible in my history class. Uh-huh. All I do is I go in at the first of the year and I ask a couple of questions that the pre- professor can answer, <laughs> and he'll never call on me again. Never can see me Smart kid. They had, they, one, one of them took a Shakespeare course, and they had some woman teaching the Shakespeare course who's trying to put a lesbian interpretation oh, for God's on Shakespeare. Why not? Why not? Why would, you, why would you subject your children to that kind of stuff? No, it's, you know, it's just... Doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and and you know that's another industry, by the way, that's ripe for just dis- complete self destruction and imploding. Right, the whole brick and mortar communist international schools that we have, they're going to just fall. Oh, yeah. They're going to fall down. I mean, if, there's no way they can survive because the money that they want for the crap that they're turning out, no one's going to be willing to pay for for much longer. I don't think. That's exactly right. And then and you know the reason why this has happened is because the government subsidized higher education. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the reason it's happened. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's going to come down. I don't uh, that's See, look here. We just we just come across a good result of all this stuff. <laughs> if higher education, if higher education it's going to go down the toilet. Uh, if that goes down the toilet, we'll be okay. Well, maybe one day they'll start a school and me and you will be professors at it, frankly. But until that day comes, um, we'll just have to keep talking on the radio. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. Thanks a lot for being on your show. I always enjoy it. Hey, God bless you, Franklin. I'll call you again soon, okay? Thank you. God bless you. Well, that's the great Franklin Sanders. Um, the The-MoneyChanger.com, as you can tell, his um, his interest, his intellect, his wisdom is very, very, very broad, and you would not be uh, you would be doing yourself a great service if you went to the moneychanger dot com and signed up for his uh, I think it's bi monthly uh, newsletter, and he has, also has a daily commentary if you're interested. And that's more he has a lot more direction towards the goal and silver markets and that. Uh, either way you go, or if you go both ways on um, <clears throat> getting up, signed up for Franklin's writings, I think you'll enjoy it. We'll have him back. Like I said, I had a whole bunch of other questions I wanted to get to, but I don't want to stop the man from talking. I, I learn too much. I enjoy it too much. I like to hear his voice. Uh, and so I never want to tell the guy to stop and let's go a different direction because it's just I'd be cutting off a branch that, that uh, a lot of fruit can come from. So there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the interview.